Welcome to Ear Splits, the core sports podcast where we talk to amazing women, hear stories of courage, and explore the world of endurance sports. Are you ready? Let's go. I lost out on being an age group champion and also a Kona slot at Ironman Texas in 2018 because a young woman in my age group cheated by drafting during the whole bike course. Thought it was really telling though because she ended up coming in almost last in our age group in Kona that year because she couldn't hold her own uh, without cheating. So I think it's always better to train hard and train honest and uh, let the race course bring out the best in you and not try to cheat it. It was the Australian Long Course Championships, and I knew I had a shot at a podium finish if I focused on my strengths. The swim was really rough and didn't go well, but I knew I had the ability to ride stronger than the girls in front of me out of the water, so I went to work. By the second lap of the bike, I had caught one of them and put a surge on as I went past. Or so I thought. This particular female, for the remainder of the 56-mile bike, continued to blatantly slit on my wheel and draft off me. It was so noticeable that even riders going in the other direction were yelling at her to stop cheating. It was so frustrating and disappointing at the same time because she obviously didn't care what she was doing was wrong. Welcome to the Core Sports Podcast Ear Splits. I'm Raj Holden. And I'm Kebby Holden. And today we're covering an icky, and I suppose if you think about it, really fairly disgusting topic. Yeah, definitely an unpleasant topic. We're going to be talking about cheating in endurance sports, and we've got two very interesting guests that have a lot to say on the topic. We're going to be talking to Derek Murphy, who is the founder of MarathonInvestigation.com, as well as a sports psychologist and ultra runner uh, named Addie Bracey. Yep, and before we get to the interviews, let's dig in just a little bit. And we blogged about this. Uh, In the past, we posted on social media, um, and we support you know, the uh, anti-doping groups, uh, Clean Sport Collective, you know, and others. But, w- Kevin, what is it about doping, drafting, and the other forms of cheating that gets you so fired up? Um, besides the obvious injustice of it and, and not keeping a level playing field, it, it really bums me out. I have friends and know other athletes that have been cheated out of a Kona slot or, a um, you know, a podium slot even though they worked really hard and that's what they were going for, but by somebody who cheated, whether by literally or figuratively cutting corners. Yep. And that's just sad. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And there's a selfishness to cheating that just, it's absolutely infuriating. 100%. Infuriating, yeah. Because you think about it in life, if you cheated to say, get your driver's license, um, you end up with one more driver on the road, probably a bad driver. But in sports, it's a zero-sum game. And in other words, if a cheater gets a Kona slot, then it 100% means that someone who raced clean is left out. Um, but, but, well, give me your opinion here. Is, is all cheating equally bad? In other words, is a drafter as bad as a person who takes performance-enhancing drugs? I think at some point, you know, it, none of it's okay. Um, it's 100% wrong 100% of the time we can split hairs about which one's worse. Um, And I would say that sort of the behind the scenes doping, ingesting um, or injecting chemicals into your body to get advantage is a little more devious than say cutting, cutting a course or um, 
lying about a split or, you know, you're, you're, you didn't come across a timing mat, but, um, so I think that's a little more devious, but for me, I'm super interested to talk to 80, um, because of the psychology of it. Like what, what type of person does this? Can you spot that type of person? What's their mindset before they make a decision to cheat? And then also what are the, what are sort of the mental and emotional ramifications of getting caught from cheating? Yeah. Now it's interesting to sort of get into the head of, of someone who's decided to do this, whether it's sort of a, a crime of, of a planned out crime, or if it's one that just sort of, you know, they saw a wheel and jumped on it. But, but on that distinction between dopers and drafters, I, I mean, in my opinion, you could argue that, you know, you get out on a course, you get caught up in a big pack, you could get a drafting penalty and it'd be unintentional. True. But it's very hard to, you know, inject EPO or, you know, take performance en- enhancing drugs and say that was, that was unintentional. Right. And one of the things both, uh, that both D- Derek and Eddie will talk about are, you know, consequences, the consequences that should be in place for doping specifically. You know, if you, if you have an ac- accidental drafting penalty, you know, you serve a number of minutes in the yellow tent, then you go on. Um, so there is an ability to come back from that sometimes, but, um, you know, some of these other bans that happen, you know, it, it, are the, is the incentive, uh, to is it is it off put by some of the sentencing that you know the, the partial bans that go on I don't know it's just interesting yep for sure for sure okay well let's bring on the founder of marathoninvestigation.com Derek Murphy yay Derek, thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me we're so glad you're here hey Derek um we've been longtime fans of your work and following it um and and are appreciative of what you do and trying to keep uh these sports clean um we know it's becoming more and more of an issue as, uh, uh, you know, endurance running and, and triathlon gets to be more mainstream. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started Marathon Investigation and what its goals are? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, basically, I kind of started Marathon Investigation. I've been kind of involved in, like, business analysts, analytics, you know, looking at data, you know, kind of stuff. So that's kind of my, my background. I was a numbers guy, and, like, kind of tinkering in, in Excel and websites and stuff. And, and I've been a runner for probably about 20 years um, off and on and so kind of started marathon investigation was just really you know I see you know on the message boards you know you know stuff about you know competing in marathons to you know for whatever and a couple stories you know just got a lot of attention on the message board so I was kind of curious so kind of piqued my curiosity I, I thought they were fascinating as to why are people going through so much to cheat at marathons and then my next question was well is this commonplace um, you know, we're focusing on these couple, you know, a couple cases, you know, are they're cheating in every race? How frequent is it? So that's why I kind of combined my two worlds and, you know, tried to figure a way to look at the data to get an idea of how prevalent, you know, cheating was. And so that kind of led me to do a deep dive into the Boston, you know, the 2015 Boston Marathon and kind of look back and figure out ways to detect cheaters. And, you know, and I, and I, and I found a bunch. And even before that, I found, just kind of, you know, I look at, I pull up results from websites, you know, where it kind of lists, what gives you the full list and splits. And I, I just found a lot of odd looking stuff without mm. even really trying. So that, that's when it kind of, you know, got my curiosity to say, you know, hey, how come, how come we're allowing these results to stand? And, you know, then, you know, what are people gaming from it? And it just led to a lot more questions that I, I've been trying to answer for the last few years. 
Right. And I think a lot of people, you're answering a lot of questions a lot of people have. Um, so you mentioned message boards and just um, looking through uh, statistics from um, results, but how are most of these cases brought to you or how do they come to your attention? Do you seek them all out or do people come to you saying, hey, would you mind looking into this this athlete at this race or is it kind of a mixed bag? Well, yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag. I mean, initially before anybody you know, knew that I was doing this, it was just, you know, every, you know, whenever, you know, a race is run, I, you know, look through the results and initially I would just kind of click you know, a lot, a lot of times you're not presented to you real cleanly where you can just like look at the whole list of results and say, oh, yeah, you know, and find all the odd ones. So it, it wasn't really easy. I would click um, initially, you know, one by one by one and, you know, onto the, you know, the link, you know, where it looks at splits and look for missing splits or look for big changes. And then, you know, as, you know, I kind of got more established. I was able to, you know, get some help. And as far as kind of creeping, pulling down the results into like an Excel format to where I can kind of, you know, plug in some algorithms to find them easier that way. So, I find quite a few just by, you know, downloading race results and, you know, calculating paces and changes in pace and missing slips and then, you know, and then from there digging into photos. So, um, but then as at more publicity, I've, you know, probably more to start from somebody emailing me like, hey, can you look at this, you know, the person posted that they, you know, ran this time. I don't think they're capable of it. And, you know, can you look into it? So it's really, it's just it probably more primarily because, you know, I, I I can pull results from a lot of the major races, you know, when we're racing. Um, but I, I don't pull all of them. So a lot of smaller races, I'll hear from somebody. Yeah. And do you scrub all this data by hand or have you got sort of an algorithmic or more of a, a systemic way to scan all the results and have you know a program that spits out, like here are four or five that are questionable? Or is it all just manual heavy lifting? kind of combination um as far as like being able to like for like the boston marathon you know i'm able to scrape the results you know so i basically you know click the button but at least so i get all the results in excel you know process spreadsheets and i have formulas that you know that'll flag the top you know they this person and you know like the largest negative splits and the largest you know or the you know the you know maybe people miss two or more timing maps i have a lot of different flags so i'll just kind of highlight ones to look at um, sometimes it is technology issues and then sometimes it's okay. Yeah. This person ran, you know, a three and a half hour half marathon split and they finished the race in four and a half hours. Not that I care that people <laughs> so much to finish that flow, but I mean, a lot of times you'll have people with like, okay, you look for a split and then you find a split time of four minutes, 15 seconds per mile. Uh, so you're just looking for the, these impossible, you know, type stuff and the big changes in pace, especially somebody who's, you know, Speeding up, you know, significantly, you know, over the race, and you're running world record type paces over, you know, certain splits. Right. And you also know, you know, you know the course. Okay, here's a split where there's an opportunity, um, you know, for somebody to, to easily cut. Um, you know, as I've learned, there's always in places where you don't think it's possible, people find ways. Um, right. There's some that are obvious, out, you know, little out and back sections, you know, where someone can cut off a couple miles. You know, you look for, you know, you look for changes pace over those so yeah so, so it's a combination um i have formulas that kind of do the get it down from say if i'm looking at boston qualifiers the race has 400 boston qualifiers you know i'll run through you know i'll plug it in i have my formulas and maybe i have 20 that i want to look at one more closely so it, it narrows it down for me but still you have to look at it all manually um to, to know for sure um i always have some timing issues it's always okay. yeah something that yeah, super detailed work. What's the what's the process um, once you think you're on to 
uh, somebody who has cut a course or the times don't seem to match up and maybe they've been doping or something's going on. What is, what is the process from there? Do you then pull out the pictures? Do you, you know, once you think you've got a pretty solid case, do you take it to the race director? Do you go back and look at other results from this athlete? How do you, how do you go about that? Uh, yeah, pretty much all of the above. Um, yeah, it was well due to say, I look at photo case. There's no way the person actually ran the time. Let me look at photos. Right. Um, and, and is it, uh, one thing I try to look at, and if I, I just know, okay, yeah, this person didn't run a back half of the marathon in an hour. Um, okay, did they, right. you know, look, I'm looking at the photos, I live in, you know, text social media because a lot of times it's, up, you know, they had a bad day, you know, they made it carry off by, cut off by medical, but then they had to cross through the finish area and they triggered the finish. So they're, they're not claiming a finish, but they're in the, they're in the results. So if the result needs to be cleaned up, but this person didn't cheat. So I, I try to see if there's any way I can kind of determine that. You know, if I, you know, search social media and says, oh, I DNS, I was, you know, I had to get, you know, or, or whatever, then okay, hey, it's just a timing thing. And you have to email the timer or the race, the race director say, you know, this person shouldn't get any results. And, and, and that's the end of it. Um, but then if it's determined, okay, hey, this person, you know, they got a finishing picture, you know, with their medal, they're posting on social media that, hey, they, you know, did this race to qualify for Boston. So yeah, then I'll dig deeper. And almost always, you know, I'll look at prior results to see if this is a pattern. If I'm seeing, you know, especially at the same race, you know, there's one I just I just finished. Of, at the time, LA Marathon is right before we shut everything down. So I didn't really look at it, but I, I went back to it last week, uh, you know, and I found an instance, hey, this person has real fast you know, fast second half of the marathon, they're missing these splits. Looks mm-hmm. at three or four years, similar patterns every year, missing the same split. Um, you know, that, that's just really red flag. If you have a technology issue once, you can have it in the same spot of the course multiple years. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, I'm looking for a pattern and you know, it's happening in different races. Um, and sometimes they'll have someone who misses a lot of splits in a lot of races. And I, I, when I started, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this person definitely cheated. But then you'll see, okay, hip, they are, they're always wearing a bib. They're using a bib belt, which is covering up part of the bib. They have water bottles covering it, or it's flipped around to the back or the side. There are not many photos. So there are re- technological logical reasons why they might be missing splits. So I, I try to keep that in mind. Hmm. Yeah. This person starting. And then it's a matter of, yeah, I'll, I'll contact the race director. And then, you know, if it's something where it's, okay, you know, maybe I'm going to write on this, I'll, you know, I'll contact the, the runner. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, let's, uh, as part of this podcast, we talked to a sports psychologist named Addie Bracey, and we, we were asking her to try and get in the head of of cheaters. And also, we live here in Hollywood. I don't know if we're in Los Angeles, and, and we see this uh, far too often with celebrities and people in power that when they do something wrong and they're they're caught, and it sort of follows a pattern. First, there's this, you know, deny, deny, deny. And then if that doesn't work, then they start attacking the person that accused them until the proof is pretty much overwhelming. And then all of a sudden they apologize and go into, you know, treatment or, or something of that nature. Does, do the people that you see cheating in marathons and triathlons, when they are caught or accused, do they follow a similar pattern? Uh, yeah, very much so. Usually in, you know, when I first started, you know, a lot of times they were, I just ignored, like, you know, who, who the heck is this? I, now, now I'll usually get a response at first or, you know, front friendly and like, yeah, I'll share, you know, I'll share it with you, blah, blah, blah. Then if, it's, if they're sharing what they think is, you know, good enough evidence and I've had people take GPS, you know, Photoshop or just, <laughs> just you know, wow. just manipulate their data and stuff. So, the, you know, but then once I'm like, hey, you know, I looked at everything, you know, here's my determination. Then that's kind of when it turns where it's, okay, then they're, you know, why is that me? I'm not a professional athlete. It, you know, it doesn't matter why you go, you know, why even, even before I write about them. Um, 
and you know, then it kind of goes exactly that same way where it's like at night and, um, you know, I have plenty of <laughs> you know, incidents where people have, you know, come after, you know, just start attacking me again, instead of, you know, when you're criti- criticizing, you know, I'm bullying them or whatever. And to me, you know, there's a little bit of a fine line between like, you know, criticizing and bullying, but if you're just, if you're just posting factual information on someone's split, you know, I don't see how mm-hmm. that can be bullying. Right, um, right. Now, sometimes now, kind of the bigger question is, okay, how are people going to react, you know, when that information's out there, you know, right. so, you know, careful on how, you know, how much information I give and more conservative, yeah. um, you know, with my writing style than I had, was maybe three or four years ago when, you know, when I didn't think anybody was actually looking at the blog. And, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, talked about getting in the minds, in the mind of people that cheat and dope. What, let's sort of get in your head just a little bit. What are you sort of a glutton for punishment? I mean, this must be grueling, just t- mentally taxing work. What what drives you to to do it? Uh, yeah, no, I mean the work itself. Like you know, I love like right now. I'm trying to you know, I have tools to scrape. I'm you know learning to code myself or and getting there. So I can, you know, so I like kind of like pulling the data and figuring it out and get a little bit of right when you find something. Like, yeah, this person been you know for years you just find anomalies that part's the fun part the mm-hmm. part i hate is writing the articles and having to you know and you know, the confrontations that'll invariably invariably happen so you know at one point it's kind of more enjoyable when i was just kind of doing this you know basically alone and nobody was really looking at the articles and um you know so that work and the investigating and even that strategic nature of it it's just kind of a learning for me as far as you know kind of diving into the numbers having to deal with the, the other end of it it's not the fun you know, it's not the fun part but really what probably drives me to answer your question is, um, you know, doing this, no, you know, yeah, I'm kind of on the back end of it. I'm you know, doing with people who cheated and are taking away times, but I do it so that, you know, I hear a lot from the people who, um, oh, yeah, this person bucked me off the podium, you know, thanks for, you know, <laughs> you know thanks for taking care of it. So it's there, you know, I miss Boston by, you know, I didn't get in the Boston Marathon or I didn't get in the Kona by a short, you know, by a very small margin because, you know, people cheated to get in. So thanks for, you know, helping clean it up. So, right. Um, and that's, so that's what, so that's really what drives me. So even though I'm, um, you know, hey, all your bookings are negative, it's really the people who deserve the awards and yeah. the recognition and get it. So. Exactly. It's like you're you're fighting the good fight, even though it's it's it can be tough. But you know, that's that's a lot of uh, where we're coming from too. And diving into this podcast is, you know, we've known plenty of athletes and friends that you know work their butts off and. You know, it, you know, just to get that qualification to Kona or to Boston or whatever it is, only to be bumped by somebody who came out of nowhere and has this extraordinary time based on, you know, how they had performed before. So we're super sympathetic to those people and um, definitely appreciate all the work you do put into it to bring, you know, issues like this to, to light. Yep. And how you know, when people sort of get aggressive, like what how aggressive do they get? Have you been threatened with legal action or physical harm or anything like that? Or do they kind of go quietly in the night after they're busted? Yeah. I mean, I've been, it seems like the ones that threaten with the legal action, again, that's never, I've never so much gotten a, a cease and desist. Uh, but the only thing was uh, there was a woman who was like, she was like copying bibs like multiple years. Like LA Marathon was one of the races in that. Oh. And she, she was able to get site taken down, site taken down for about 24 hours by filing, filing a copyright claim on the photos that I used, um, which was funny. One of them was actually a marathon photo, you know, where she took it with the watermark still. So I actually bought the photo and posted it without the <laughs> watermark. So she, she had no rights to that and, and really got, I mean, I was backed up. It wasn't, you know, she, wow. you know, I countered that argument and, you know, she never, um, you know, Never did any more claims. So that's about the closest it came to any legal. And um, yes, I've been threatened with physical 
think the ones who threaten me basically, I think it's always been like when I've written about, you know, getting people copying bibs or banditing it for whatever reason. And yeah, and the one, there was the one triathlete that was actually, it was in the California race where, you know, where it's just, um, and we had her, well, we were trying to have her on my podcast and it was her friend was on there and said, yeah, he's, I'm mean, to get post taken off of Facebook where he was threatening me and it was just crazy. So yeah, so there, there were a few. Um, when I first started, you know, it was, they were going to come down and come visit me, like posting my address and everything. Wow. And, you know, they were come get me. So it first kind of got to me, but none of that's ever, I didn't think any of that was ever really legitimate type threats, but, but it's definitely something you think about, you know, when it, when it does happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that part gets really aggressive and frightening. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, I, if I'm writing, I mean, I'm writing about people in California, and I'm here in Ohio, so it's a, yeah, I don't know, yeah. like, you know, if there was somebody in my hometown, like Blaine Peter, am I going to write about it? I, have, I haven't really come across that yet. There were a like, high-profile <laughs> case, like right here, but yeah, there's been some that's been, yeah, sure. cause been going, yeah they're, they're close. They, they might me. <laughs> Okay. Or my, you know, father, the ones, you know, the one in Arizona, the one that was real curious, it's like, you know, my, my dad lives in the same town. <laughs> like, oh like, my gosh. Like, I, I'm not going to post on Facebook that I'm there and I did, um, endurance exchange. Um, you know, I, I, I spoke at that event, which was right, right there. It wasn't right. Phoenix and that was publicized. So I, I in back in my head, it's like, okay, is this person, this is one person who's actually crazy enough to actually show up there. And <laughs> I, I, that's the only time I ever really had any any concern as far as that goes. But it sounds like there's a good chance stuff. you can outrun them. <laughs> it came right down to it. So maybe that's something. Yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, well, yeah, so that, that was about the only time, but yeah, it wasn't, um, yeah, then you just get, you know, you get, you get that, you get the threats, and then there's people, you know, kind of go, you know, they just like kind of beg and, you know, they just get for you to write something. And so you can't take all that into account, but it's kind of. Right. Well, yeah, you, it, it is definitely just tricky. It's like, okay, hey, this person, yeah. No, again, I mean, I'm so glad you have the, the personality that's able to take that and, and still run with it and be like, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm on the right here, so you can't really argue with me. You mentioned Facebook, and I was going to ask you about social media. Is, is there any way to tell? From a so you know from how people portray themselves on social media, if if there's like a a certain pattern of what cheaters typically, you know how they present themselves, and then also is there a way they use social media to almost get caught and then also to cover up, if that makes sense? Uh, seems- yeah, and, and um, yeah, definitely. I think social a lot of people out themselves through social media. Okay, um, where it's again like you know someone someone deep and runs fast time and never really says anything about it you know who's gonna it's less likely somebody would really know but if it's you know if you, if you cheat and you're immediately you know posting your selfies and saying i qualified for boston you know and you're in a running group and everyone's like he doesn't run that fast he doesn't run that fast <laughs> let me look and so right. yeah and so yeah it's the again not everybody i mean there's plenty of people who post every single run on, on social media and they're completely legit but then i think at the same time you know you have those people are probably more apt than if they're having a bad day, that boy, I, you know, I said, I've been talking about this race on social media for months. I mean, you know, it seems like those people are more susceptible to kind of giving in and, you know, maybe, you know, having a bad day instead of admitting they had a bad day to cut a course and, you know, embellish their time, you know, kind of thing. Um, so I think, you know, you hear a lot, like, you know, people are like, yeah, I'm going, you know, going for like world records. Like, I, I'm interested in like a lot of like cross country runs and like those records and those cases people. You know, you have these people who tell out qualified and say they're going for a record. It just seems like the higher likelihood that, okay, they re- when they realize they're not going to do it, then, okay, they're going to fix their way to it. So I think it's a lot of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I don't know if cheating is more prevalent because of social media, but it's you know, definitely 
um, easier to catch people now than it would have been in you know, the early 80s before the internet. Where, right. You know, results weren't posted for everyone just to look. You, know, you can go into work and say you ran, you know, a two and a half hour marathon and nobody would question, you know, <laughs> they might question you, but uh, how the heck would they know? You know, how would they find out? Right. Uh, you know, if you're lying or not. Well, so it, now it's, you know, all the data is everywhere. So it's, it's a lot harder to see. I think the, you know, there are still smaller races, you know, without all the timing and all that stuff. And that's kind of the ones where it's, you know, I have plenty of results. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe this person based on the results is capable of what they did, but there's nothing I can, yeah, you know, the person didn't post on Strava and there's no timing right. splits. I can't prove it, but just like, okay, I know it, but I can't prove it. Well, Derek, you know, the first time we really, um, you know, started uh, getting familiar with our work, and I, I almost am loath to bring this up, but w- for CORE, one of our ambassadors, this is about three years ago now, um, was found by you to be cutting a course in a half Ironman. And like Reg said, we've been kind of ever since and just delving into, you you know, what what makes somebody do that? And And this ambassador clearly had some issues that, we're not, you know, we did not know about, we don't, you know, we have a team of a hundred girls and we don't get to meet every single one. And a lot of the, um, we know a lot of them through their social media or their application or through friends of friends. And, um, this particular ambassador at the time was beloved by our team, was always super helpful on social media. You know, she was a gem. And so when we found out what she was doing, it was a complete shock to all of us. And it was such an interesting you know, psychological thing that she could present herself so dramatically one way um, to everybody she interacted with, but then behaved in a manner that was completely, you know, and this athlete had, you know, it was for a middle of the pack finish. It wasn't even for uh, Kona qualification or it was the, it was so bizarre to us. And so have you learned anything about like what really makes somebody cheat? Is it a certain type of personality, a certain mindset? Can you tell beforehand? Yeah, it's not hard to tell beforehand. I mean, I hate to kind of, you know, put people like, hey, this person's like that. Maybe they're, they're cheating. So, yeah, they're really hard to tell before, you know, they do. But I think, like, in that case, can you have, you know, people like the middle of Packers who are, like, you know, like ambassadors or back with Packers, and there's, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I've dealt with a few of that where it's, and is it, you know, matter where they're kind of feeling the pressure to, okay, you know, I got to finish or, you know, kind of live up to, uh, you know, an ambassador or high profile hmm. ambassador, you know, even like, you know, like, you know, some, somebody's telling me the sponsor, they'll call them athletes and they're sponsored athletes and they're, you know, they're struggling to, you know, to be cut off and all that. So it's, um, and mm-hmm. I think there's a, per- you know, there's, I think there's definitely a space for that, you know, for that, but, you know, you know, sort of person doesn't, you know, not everybody has to be, a, you know, Run lead times. There's definitely you, know, you can definitely motivate people. You know, motivation in the back of the pack is probably more motivate motivation in the back of the pack. I'm, I'm now and I always have been. You know, back of the packer. Uh, you know, it's just my finish. And there's a lot of inspirational stories where you know somebody finishing is a, is a bigger deal as somebody else qualifying for Boston for that person. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so there's de- I think it's definitely a you know, so that so yeah, so it's really hard to say. Again, I think it's just kind of people getting caught up in the um, you know, social media attention and that, and mm-hmm. then feeling, you know, feeling pressure, you know, relating to their results, um, you know, not being able to accept that DNS is okay or, or you know, a slower time and then kind of, you know. Yep. And Derek, you, you mentioned this and it struck, it's, you know, very, very close to our hearts too, this idea that the story is partly about the cheaters, but it's also mainly about the people that were cheated. Mm-hmm. And that's what really just breaks our hearts when we see somebody put in the work and, 
then get cheated out of a spot, uh, you know, their Boston qualifier or their Kona slot. Um, but what advice would you have for uh, race directors? Because you can only do so much with marathon investigation. Is there anything a race director could do to help reduce uh, or eliminate cheating altogether? The best race directors can do is, you know, it's not, they don't mildly disqualify people, but again, if they're, you know, if they have their criteria and like, if it doesn't help them with that, you know, we're going to you know, pull this, pull, but we'll pull this person some results, you know, like they were in the you know, not a DNF, not a, not a big DQ, you know, for me to find the results. Hey, if they're legitimate, they're going to, you know, they're going to contact us and, you know, and give us the evidence mm-hmm. or reach out. Um, you know, I work, um, I've worked the past few years with the California International Marathon and, you know, we have a, you know, we have a criteria like, okay, let me see this criteria, their flag, and then I can send them an annual flag. And so, you know, for results are official, you know, we send out maybe 150 emails, like, hey, you confirm it, you know, did this and provide some kind of, any sort of evidence, um, you know, that you, Completely ready. Most times, like no, I didn't complete it. That's a point-to-point course. It's just a shuttle to the end, crossing the line, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, it's very simple stuff, but again, it's results need to be removed. Um, so it's just kind of confirmation. So yeah, so I think it's just um, here. A lot of people are worried. Oh, we don't want to mess with it. You know, they're you know it's their customers. They don't want to DQ them. But hey, if they didn't, you know, they didn't finish the race, you need to. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, right. And, and there's really, I really want to catch. So, and what we do there is in my I look in detail like all the award winners, you know, all the top you know, all the top finishers. Everything else is just a matter of okay, if large negative split or if you're missing two or more consecutive timing maps. Right. Um, right. you're on that you're on that list, that you're gonna get an email. Um, you know, ask for some you know, sort of confirmation. Um, yeah, I I would think that if a race director said, Hey folks, we're sending the results and the photography and all the data to mm-hmm. you know, to Derek just be aware that, you know, it might be a way to have, you know, sort of preemptively clean up the race. Yeah, exactly. And stuff like, you know, if you have timing maps, you know, mix them up from year to year, uh, you know, say if you only have a budget for a couple of timing maps, you know, put them in different spots or have, you know, make sure they're in the crucial spots or, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I love the GoPros and, you know, the cameras kind of catch, you know, the little step somewhere or even, um, you know, again, if races have the budget, you know, the the best ones are the non the non public time maps. You know, if you have a spot that's you know, like everyone knows the match there, but hey, if you have one where it's just of, you know, and you don't publish it, you know, if you're doing the same match year after year, but if there's one that nobody knows is there, I just mm-hmm. kinda mix it up every now and then and then, you know, you catch a lot of a lot that way and kind of verify um, you know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of ways. Um, but if you, you know you have runners call and ask you, Hey, where's the time match this year? You know, be and that happens and I feel some people see that it was like called ahead and you know where it's been like where races have announced to your point they announce hey you know we're gonna have extra timing we're just announcing it you're gonna be on the lookout that's just kind of mm. you know stop that I know some public computers has been you know basically you know, once it's been announced you know oops, suddenly the person didn't you know didn't show up to the race or it, yeah yeah those are good, but, yeah, really good so there's a lot of ways so yeah I think it's definitely you know kind of be um, preemptive for it that could be a whole new consulting arm for marathon investigation where to, where to put your, yeah. build your checks in. Have you seen an increase, especially in, in age group, uh, cheating over the years or has it just sort of been case by case, you know, race by race? Yeah. I mean, it's, no, I don't think I've seen an increase. I think really I've seen an increase of I've started and I think, yeah, but, um, yeah, so I'm not seeing you know, quite as much. Yeah. It, it's always been there. Um, you know, you're cheating just to like, you know, 
Got it. Every now and then, you have the person who, who, who overreaches on their cheating, uh, to where they end up winning the whole race. And there's been a few cases of that. Right. Um, yep. there's, there was a guy I wrote about who was like a, like a four and a half, five hour marathoner, and he ended up winning the race. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was just so ridiculous. And, and yeah. he had run for, he was like running for Congress and he's run for mayor of the city. So he was <laughs> you know, really high profile. And it was, um, it was a, basically, Wow. There's a little bit of uh, kind of like a lollipop type course. There's two laps around a lake okay. and a little bit of an out and back trip. Um, he ran one lap, you know, and oh. so basically he ran 13 miles, you know, and some odds to the 26. And so, you know, he went on a loop and, and then he, you know, he told me it was an accident. Uh, he didn't realize that. <laughs> right. Well, first he, he denied it. He claimed he had won it, but then, I'm, but then he's like, oh, the race is so poorly designed. So then the race got picked yeah. him and started, I, I was hearing people on the course. You know, a race official said, no, we've called him out on it. He told me he flew by the lead runner and the bicycle. <laughs> yeah. Sh- shocking. So it, was, so it was like, yeah, so it was just two miles to 26. I mean, so it was just so absurd. Um, yeah. And, and shock, even more shameful and shocking that he was a politician. We just don't expect <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, what? No, no, no the last, last thing. But he had just lost, he had already lost the primary. If I would have gotten, that, that actually didn't get some attention. If I would have more, if he was like, yeah. oh, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> well, look, look there. Derek, we want to be respectful of your time, so we're going to wrap up here in just a second. But uh, two two last questions. First, what do you think the running and triathlon world is going to look like post-COVID-19? And this is less about uh, cheating and doping, but just more in general. Are we, are we going into a dark time for endurance sports, or do you think we'll come back? And then second, what's what's next for MarathonInvestigation.com? Yeah, sure. Um yeah, it's interesting. You know, will we ever get back to the mass, you know, the mass races and the mass starts? And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it'll probably be a while before we're, you know, back to uh, you know how we thought until we see another, you know. Yeah, I think you know, be, I think there's ways to have races. And some races, you know, race steps on, um, but you know, getting crowded in with you know thirty thousand people all in the same spot. Thing. I don't know. I you know, hope they have a, a solution to you know to this problem. I can't see that happening anytime soon. Um, you might yeah, have to so go yeah, so think, figure out a way to do it vir- uh, for the virtual races. Yeah, then open sort of virtual cheaters, right? But oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I spent way too much time uh, looking at one guy who was running around a coffee table and trying to measure carpet squares, see how far he was actually going. So amazing, but he was getting international attention. So it, but yeah, yeah. yeah so there. So that's tough. Uh, yeah, for, for investigation, uh, I'll keep kind of going the same. Again, if there's no races, I'm going to run out of stuff to do. So I'm kind of right now, I'm kind of looking back and just working on my um, analytical part. I did, I did actually start up, launched a new website for you know, looking in the multi-level marketing pyramid type thing. So a little different, a little different focus. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. But that's not, that's definitely not a niche. There's plenty of sites like mine and people, you know, looking at those kind of scams and stuff. So, Gotcha. Something else occupy my time. Yeah. Well, look. Well, we we hope that uh, we're all back racing again soon, and we're very appreciative of the work that you do. A hundred percent. Yep. So, thank you so much for your time today, and and keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks all so right. much, Eric. Take care. Today we're talking with Addie Bracy. Addie has an incredible background. Uh, she's a very accomplished runner at a wide variety of distances. And to that point, she made the Olympic trials three times. That's pretty stunning right there. Yeah. <laughs> Once in the uh, <laughs> 10,000 meter distance, twice in the marathon. 
Uh, and speaking of marathon, she has a personal best time of 2.35. That's insane, Addie. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> incredible. And uh, I think uh, 26.2 miles might not have been enough. So she got into ultra running, finished ninth uh, place in the Western States 100-mile race, and uh, was runner-up at the Leadville 100-miler. And just to be clear, that's running, not a uh, cycling century. And not a flat course at all. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Um, and we want and will talk about her athletic background, uh, but we asked her to join this podcast for her brain. She's a coach, has a master's degree in sports psychology, and we think's the perfect person to help us try and understand uh, the mind and motivation of athletes who may take the saying, uh, win at all cost" too literally. Um, so let's say hello to Addie Bracey. Uh, Addie, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Um, again, I just have to, I have to give you props three times for the Olympic trials in very different distances, the, the 10,000 meters and the, and the marathon. That's, that's amazing. Um, Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so it feels like another lifetime ago when I think about it sometimes because it's, you know, such a long time ago. And um, I feel like I've entered a new sport in the last five years. But yeah, it's definitely something I'm proud with, of. With the ultra running? With the ultra running, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite distance at ultra running? Uh, I'm pretty intrigued by the hundreds. And maybe that's my kind of obsession with, you know, the mental, the mental game. I think mm -hmm. the longer you go, the bigger piece of the pie uh, that becomes. And um, you know, you can't just rely on your, your physical abilities and training when you're running a hundred miles. So, um, and you're left with your own self for a good while. Oh yeah. Long, <laughs> long, long time, many hours. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I, I've been really intrigued by it. Cool. I am. I admire that so much. Um, I'm going to bring it back a little bit though. Um, we touched a little bit on your resume there and, but we really only skimmed the surface. Tell us a little bit about your athletic and academic background, how you got into the running and then um, how you got into the psychology aspect of sports. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I have always been a runner for as long as I can remember. And I, you know, did the whole, you know, high school running and ended up uh, going to the university of North Carolina um, as an athlete and ran, um, Free sports, cross country, indoor track, and outdoor track uh, during my time there, and finished a, a, a solid athlete, but you know, not I wasn't winning national championships or anything like that. But um, had a hard time kind of wrapping my head around quitting the sport when I was still getting faster, just because I wasn't in college anymore. Right, so, right. I think yeah, that happens I to a lot to, of college graduates that are for sure. Yeah. So just kept training on my own. Um, afterwards and yeah I ended up making the, the Olympic trials in a couple of distances a few years later and I uh, kind of rode that out for a while and had some success and uh, during that time I guess on, on like the professional side was you know getting into coaching and did some college coaching some high school coaching um, and ultimately I guess with my own experiences as an athlete and then also as a coach I started to recognize uh, kind of this trend in the mental side of performing. Um, so, okay. So the, the topic, like we mentioned, it's, it's an icky subject, but you know, the, we're going to talk about cheating and uh, with core, you know, we have ambassadors and we, on too many occasions to count, we've seen people, uh, our ambassadors and friends put in, you know, an enormous amount of work and then lose out to someone who later on um, got, you know, busted for doping or uh, 
cutting you know, a was, course. Yeah, or, cutting course mm. or, or drafting. But uh, so it, yeah, there's this feeling of sadness that that just overwhelms us when we see somebody who played fair and then gets cheated out of, you know, a Boston spot or a Kona qualification or something. And I can certainly, um, as perverted as it sounds, like if someone is doing this for money and you're a borderline athlete, you can see there, you know, if you're a baseball player and they're, you know, you're going to get cut, but you decide to dope, um, because yeah, you have millions, yeah, millions of dollars on the line is certainly that doesn't make it right at by any stretch. But at least I can understand that mindset. But what are your thoughts on people in amateur sports, uh, you know, age groupers in triathlon or age groupers in running, uh, cheating? Wh- why do you think people would do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it would. Yeah, it'd definitely be hard to make obviously like a blanket statement about that. And, um, as you mentioned, I mean, I, I haven't done like any kind of formal research, but I've obviously witnessed a lot of what you're describing, um, and, and seen it in my own sport as well. And, um, I, I guess in that context, I would, I would be curious, you know, from my profession, I guess, knowledge of what I know about, I would be curious about the athlete's relationship with their sport in terms of how big of a piece of their identity it is. And I guess more importantly, how much of their self-worth they kind of derive from their results. Um, I would assume I would almost be willing to bet in most contexts where an athlete is doing some of the things that you're describing, it probably isn't a super healthy relationship in terms of deriving their self-worth, you know, from what their result means and uh, being willing to do anything, you know, to get, to make sure the clock reads what they want it to or to right. get the qualifying time that they want. Um, again, that's a, a blanket statement. That would kind of be my assumption. And I, I totally agree. There's definitely a difference when you hear stories about professional athletes. I mean, a lot of times that's coming from organizational pressure, you know, sponsorship pressure. It's, it's a much different uh, conversation. And I agree, it doesn't make it better or worse or, you know, anything like that. But I, I agree. I kind of have an, an intrigue too in the athletes that you're risking a lot with maybe not a ton to gain other than a result. And so that would lead me to believe that there's probably some kind of power that they're giving to mm-hmm. their results that maybe isn't healthy. How do you think an athlete rationalizes that decision to either, you know, cut a course or, you know, take a, take a supplement that's a little iffy or, um, you know, it, like the Tour de France, you know, dope on a larger scale. I know that's that, like you said, that's more sponsor and, and federation, but um, what, what do you think is going on in terms of that, making that decision that says, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. It's worth it. Yeah. And again, it's, it's so interesting to talk about, like, like we're doing the kind of do diff- two different camps of, you know, quote unquote dopers, the, the professionals and the ones where there is a lot on the line, but more and more, like you're describing, there are people who are, you know, not just doping, but, you know, cheating, but there's not really that much at stake. And it, and I think that there's different, it's just like a totally different situation. Um, I think at the professional level, I think one re- one way to rationalize it is I, I think people can kind of tell themselves that everybody else is doing it or right. n- not necessarily think they're doing something that other people aren't, especially I, I can't necessarily speak to cycling because I'm not a cyclist, but it seems like maybe it's a little like the high level or at least used to be more quote unquote the norm. And I think there's like a less guilt involved. Um, but yeah, at the amateur level, that's obviously not necessarily the case. Most people don't have access to that kind of thing. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. And maybe it's not a question of rationalize it so much as 
the, you know, like the juice is worth the squeeze kind of thing. Like, mm. well, I don't have to rationalize that it's okay, but like, I, I need this. And this is something that I'm willing to do to get, you know, something that I need. If it is that, that kind of validation um, that, that we were talking about before, I, I think it's a little bit, I, I have less of a clear answer again for the amateurs than I do, you know, for maybe the professionals, because I do think there's this, sometimes you can kind of lie to yourself of like, well, everybody else is doing it. So it's not that big of a deal if I'm doing it too. Or once again, a lot of times, unfortunately it can come from, you know, federations or organizations or kind of come from the top. And so it's, it's not even necessarily that you have to validate it because I think a lot of athletes at that level could almost feel like they don't have a choice. Well, speaking of the, the amateur level without those, uh, you know, more professional pressures, do you, are you able to say that, um, that somebody is that, that decides to cheat or dope or whatever it is, has, um, that, 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 that's almost like a personality trait. There's been like, you know, there's indicators along the way as they've grown up and gotten into the sport, or is it something that, you know, a certain, a a certain situational result was so hard for them that they thought it was okay. Was it a single time choice to be like, I'm going to do something about this? Or was it sort of a slippery slope over the years? Is, Is there a way to quantify one or two of those? I think that's a good question because I think, again, kind of preparing for this conversation, I was kind of thinking on some things. And I think, again, like at the, at the higher level, sometimes it's not from the stories I've heard, not, you know, like personal stories, but people, you know, when things come out, you, you see, it's not necessarily most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it's not like those, these professional athletes are going out and seeking this. They're not making this decision of like, this is something I'm going to do. Let me go out and seek this resource. A lot of times it's, they're exposed to it or a teammate's doing it or a coach provides it or something like that. So it's not, again, it's not better, but it's not necessarily in my mind always as much of like a super active, like this is something I'm going to go pursue. Um, and at the amateur level, I would assume, again, I'm making some assumptions. I would assume it, it has to be a little bit more like a decision that you make and something that you seek out. It's not probably something that you're just coming into contact with on a daily basis or like this resource just presents itself. Addie in the, I don't know if I want to call it a continuum, but in the sort of dictionary of cheating, you've got, it comes in a lot of different flavors. Yeah, you know, there are people who cut the course uh, in, bicycle, mm-hmm. in triathlon. Uh, sometimes you see people that get too close to the person behind them and get the benefit of a draft. So they're drafting. And then, then there are people who, you know, inject or, uh, you know, EPO ingest. or ingest mm-hmm. uh, a banned substance. Do you think that the mindset is different or the personality type is different for the different types of or cheating, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely think that people could almost, um, there's almost like tears, you know, like, well, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I cut the course a little bit, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doping. So, you know, maybe there's like mm-hmm. some more gray areas, or at least, you know, some people could perceive them as gray areas. I, I think, again, it comes back to kind of what I was mentioning before, you know, when you're, when someone is going to the extreme of, you know, taking a banned substance, substance, assuming it's intentional, that is a more active pursuit. Um, and, and if, you know, you see an opportunity to, to cut, you know, a couple, I don't know, meters or hundred meters off a course, or uh, yeah, you're drafting off of someone. It's, it's more like an opportunity prevents it, like presents itself. And I think there's some, there probably is, it's like almost, uh, it's, it's not like you're seeking this way to cheat so much as you're trying to resist the temptation to take advantage of this opportunity that's <laughs> presented itself. It's like probably not the right thing to do, but here it is in front of you. Um, so I, I would imagine that 
you know, that could be more of a gray area for some people or Maybe I, I can kind of see people are doing the same thing. I bet. Yeah. And that, you know, X thousands of people that are involved in that event. If we get back to live racing someday, uh, we hope, we hope we do, God but, willing. uh, you know, testing, uh, you know, blood testing and then having marshals out on the course, uh, to track and, and, uh, prevent cheating. That's expensive. And, uh, you know, I, I guess if I was a race director, I would want to do enough, but uh, that's a yeah, that's money out of my pocket. If I if I have to pay a lot of people for drug tests and marshals out on the course, is there anything from a psychological standpoint that event owners could consider doing to minimize cheating and sort of take that um, mindset away from the competitors? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, that's such, I feel like that's such a, you know, question that a lot of sports are asking right now is, yeah, how to, how to make this better. Um, I don't know. I, I think the one thing I always go back to, and this isn't necessarily, doesn't fall necessarily on the event directors because you're right. If you're not, if you're not doing testing, it, it's kind of null, but I, I think that a lifetime ban for, you know, even if that's cheating, even if that's cutting the course, I think making the consequences higher and the stakes higher could cause people to not be willing to take as many risks. Um, I like that. I like the, you know, there's gotta be an incentive not to do it at the same. Exactly. And, and I mean, I don't know, I guess in my sport, it's not as common. So is, is there a consequence? Like if you did get caught cutting a course, do you just lose that result or is there like an actual consequence for that? Like moving forward? Yeah. I think you, uh, for something like, Drafting, uh, it's just a brief penalty and then cutting a course, you lose that result. And then, you know, if you actually, like we said, ingest, you know, uh, a performance enhancing drug, then, then it's a little more severe. It can be, you know, six months, two years, four years. Uh, And that also depends on whether you're a professional or an age group. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's my question. Yeah. Is is maybe just because it, it is hard to police everyone. And I guess my, maybe this is a very pessimistic mindset. But part of me thinks like if someone really wants to cheat, they're going to find a way to. Um, it, it's not always just that we're not. I, I don't know. I just think that sometimes that just seems the, like the way it is. And so, of course, more monitoring, you know, at every level, whether that is yeah, course marshals or more testing. But you're right. It's expensive. It's not always an option. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm curious about like what would be the difference if someone was risking one race result versus, you know, maybe they're never they could never race in that series or whoever, you know, whatever event is is hosting that race, uh, could, they can never race again. Or, you know, with doping, I, I just think it should be a lifetime ban. Yep. I, I, I think we agree because there's, you know, we talked at the uh, start about how sad it is when we have friends who trained and raced fairly, and then they were denied a podium spot or a Kona spot or Boston spot. But, but there's also the damage to the sport itself that, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, enough people, uh, are caught um, cheating, then all of a sudden the entire sport sport is tainted, and that has repercussions well beyond a single race. For sure, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, in that way, almost athletes holding each other accountable. You know, like policing each other. Even I mean, I think that can be difficult too. Like I said, I think sometimes people will find a way, but yeah, I think you're right. I think accountability and consequences could could make a really big impact if those were kind of more strict or more uh, enforced. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about that. Um, I'm also curious, just the whole, um, you know, at some point, somebody who decides to cheat in whatever form is like, you know what, 
I'm going to do it. It's worth it. And then after they do it and say they, even if they were successful and, um, it, it, and got the podium that they wanted or, um, the race result and never got caught or say they got the result they wanted, but did get caught. Is there a mental consequence to that long-term? And the reason I'm really asking this is I know, um, Nina Kraft recently, uh, this last, last week passed away and she had, won the 2004 Ironman World Championships in Kona, but was later um, found to have to have doped. I believe it was EPO. Yep. Um, and, you know, everybody says she's just such a wonderful coach and person. And so at some point it was, it, you know, the pressure got to her and she decided to do it and then felt horrible. But um, I'm just curious about long term. Are there any is there, have you come across anything in your work and your studies that have shown, you know, that takes a toll? For sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually had a, a coach that coached uh, at the college I went to as a sprint coach who um, was caught doping like retroactively, like many years later, oh, um, wow. was a, an Olympic sprinter. Um, and, and yeah, he, I, this is really sad. So I don't know if it's like too heavy to, for the podcast, but yeah, he ended up taking his own life actually because he couldn't handle oh, uh, the shame, the shame that he brought right. to his family and to the sport and, that's not the only story like that. So I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in, in a situation like his, like you, you always have a choice. So I, I'm definitely not saying mm-hmm. that he didn't have a choice, but when you're put in a situation where, you know, like you have to, you feel like you feel like you have to do something and then living with that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe obviously your, your family's proud and your country's proud, but underneath all that, you know, mm-hmm. that it wasn't totally real or totally you. Um, I, I absolutely think there's some, you know, shame and guilt and long-term consequences. Maybe not for everyone. We've seen right. athletes caught doping who, who have no shame and, <laughs> yep. you know, don't, don't seem to have an issue with it. But, you know, I think, I don't think that just because someone makes that decision means that they're, you know, a bad person or they don't care or there's, that it was just an easy decision. Um, that's, that's probably more often not the case. And so I think there's probably a lot more long-term consequences than, than most of us probably know, than people probably even share. Hmm. Yep. Now that makes sense. Well, look, we have, we've taken up uh, quite a bit of your time, but uh, we really appreciate you talking to us. It's a, it's a tough topic, but you know, we love endurance sports. We love running, cycling, triathlon. And, you know, our view is anything that we can do to make the sports better um, and certainly uh, eliminating cheating would fall in that column we think is, is worth talking about. So well, and Addy, I, I just want to thank you for joining us too, because we talk so much about physical aspect of these sports and, and, you know, ultra running triathlon, Ironman. Um, and we, us athletes know that there is such a big mental part of that. So thank you for taking us sort of behind the, the actual training days and getting into the psyche a little bit. Yep. And hopefully, oh, yeah, yeah hopefully you'd be up for another uh, conversation where we talk about, uh, your running career going and your thoughts, yeah, your thoughts on going long, long, the hundred mile runs, but thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Eddie.